Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. We're in Psalm 119. If you take your Bible and turn there, Psalm 119, verses 97 through 104. And uh, while you're turning there, I uh, just wanted to say Happy Father's Day. Um, if you are a father, I hope you feel very celebrated today. Um, I hope you uh, feel encouraged and, and honored by, uh, by your kids. Um, father's Day can be tough uh, because so often, um, so often the relationship we have with our father can be very difficult. Uh, for some of us, we want to be a father so bad, and for whatever reason, that's not part of our story. Uh, but whatever... Um, Whatever is going on in your heart related to Father's Day, I'm very, very glad you're here. I'm really grateful that you're here. And my hope for us today is that we would leave here uh, feeling comforted and encouraged and filled with hope from God's word uh, so that we can step into uh, what, what God our Father has for us in our lives. So we've been in this series in Psalm 119 for several weeks. Um, the Psalm, Psalm 119 is the longest psalm, 176 verses. It's divided into 22 stanzas. Each stanza um, is built around a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which means each verse begins with that letter. And this stanza we're going to look at today uh, begins with the letter Mem. Now, it looks like Mem, M-E-M, but it's pronounced Mem in Hebrew. And this stanza um, has a real tone of celebration. Some of the other stanzas have been about suffering and difficulty and how uh, the writer is crying out to God for help. This one, the writer is crying out to God in celebration. He's saying, look at what God has done through his word. And, and he's speaking from experience more than expectation. And what we're gonna see in this stanza is that love for God's word has led to a change in his life and he wants others to know about it. He wants us to know that he loves God's word. He wants us to know that God's word has been effective in his life. He wants us to know that he has been changed because of God's word. And so as we read today, my hope for us is that we would not only love God's word, but that God's word would lead to change in our thinking and change in our living. That's my hope for us today. So we're gonna read verses 97 through 104, and then I'll pray for us and we'll jump in. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way, In order to keep your word, I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Let's pray. Uh, Therefore, I hate every false way. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would give us hearts that are ready to hear wonderful things from it. I pray that you would use this time to. Uh, shape our lives, that we would uh, be shaped to love your word, uh, that we'd be shaped in our thinking about your word and in our living out of your word. Uh, Lord, you, you and you alone can do that. I cannot do that for myself. I cannot do it for anyone else. You and you alone uh, are able to change us through your word. So would you do that 
we ask that you would do that for your glory and your and our good. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to see basically one idea from the passage. We're going to see that love for God's word leads to a change in our lives, specifically how we think and how we live. So love for God's word leads to a change in our lives, how we think and how we live. Let's start with love for God's word. We're going to see in verse one, he says, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. So the writer is saying, I love your law. I love it. I think about it all the day. Now, when we read the word law, we have a negative perception of it. Um, We think either a list of rules or maybe we think speed limit. We think something that is constraining us. Now, for the writer, when he read law, he was reading the Hebrew word Torah. And the Hebrew word Torah is not really getting at like rules we have to keep to earn God's love. It's talking about the teaching that this God who is glorious and holy and strong, that this God who is this way loves a rebellious, sinful people. And so when the writer says, I love your law, he's talking about that, the teaching of how God relates to his people and how we relate to him. He's thinking back to the Exodus and how God redeemed a, a, a undeserving, rebellious people from their bondage to slavery. He redeemed them and brought them out so that they might be free to worship him. That's what he's thinking when he reads Torah. He's thinking about God's deliverance of his people and how we could relate to him and how he has promised to relate to us. This is more gospel than rules for this right. And he's rhyming these ideas. I love your law, it is my meditation. What he's saying is, loving God's word is meditating on it. Those are the same. How I know I love God's word is I think about and meditate on God's word. He has a love for God's word. And then he says in verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste. So not only does he think about it and meditate on it, he loves what he's thinking about. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. They are sweet like honey. I don't know if you've been to Cineholic over here in Belmont yet. That's a bad situation, okay? It is a bad situation, and it is sweet. It is so good. I have a buddy who's not a sweet person. Now, that doesn't mean he's not sweet. What he means is he doesn't like sweets. He, he would rather eat something salty. And maybe, um, in fact, if he were to have even a bite of that cinnamon roll, he'd have to have like a gallon of coffee just to cancel it out. Like he just can't handle really, really sweet things. And maybe that's you. And so when you read, how sweet are your words to my taste, you're thinking, uh. Well, just think of salty, savory, whatever your favorite thing to eat is. That's what the writer's saying about God's word that it's so good. He says, I love it. I think about it all the time. It's sweet to me. It's sweeter than honey to my mouth. I love it. So the writer is speaking as one who loves God's word and about how God's word changes him, but he's not always been this way. Verse 104 says, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Now think about that for a moment. Through your precepts, I get understanding. So he did not have understanding 
And through God's precepts, he gets it. And then he says, therefore, I hate every false way. Something has happened in this writer where he gained something he didn't have, and now he starts to hate false ways. He, starts, he says, I hate every false way. And we're not born hating false ways. In fact, we're born loving our way. We're not born loving God's way. We're born wanting our way. I mean, you think about these cute little kids that were, uh, their parents were dedicated themselves to raising their kids. They're just cute little bundles. You know, just want to squeeze them, you know. And later, you know, maybe they get to be a year, year, year and a few months old. And the mother that bore them has clothed them and fed them and gotten up at night and cared for them, tells this little bundle of cuteness not to do something. And that little bundle of cuteness all of a sudden says no. Or this, this little bundle of cuteness wants to touch something, Drano, electric outlet, cord that's hanging from an iron. I mean, whatever they want to touch, they want it. And mommy says no. Well, they want it because inside that little bundle of cuteness is this thing that wants their own way. You and I are born wanting our own way. We are not born hating every false way. We're born wanting our way. And something has to change in us for us to get understanding so that we hate every false way and love God's way. Something has to happen. And what has to happen, the Bible calls conversion. You see, Ephesians 2 says, we were, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, who is rich in mercy, with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. And, and that is pictured in the Old Testament, beginning with God's deliverance of his people from Egypt. He delivers this people who cannot deliver themselves. They're delivered. And it runs all the way through the Old Testament and it culminates in Christ's death on the cross in our place where he died for our sin to offer forgiveness for us loving every false way. And in the middle of that time, in the prophets, we read about what's coming. We read about this promise in Ezekiel 36. The writer says in verse 24, it's going to be on the screen, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from your, all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. So there's this promise that God will um, give them a new heart and a new spirit. Now look what else happens. It's on the next slide. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Now notice what happens. God says, I will remove the heart of stone. I'll remove from you that thing that wants your way. I'll put in a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit in you that wants God's way. 
And look what happens. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What, what's happened in the life of this writer and what happens in the life of a follower of Jesus is we are converted from wanting our false way to wanting God's way. And that is a gift of grace. We get that because of God's mercy, not our merit. And God radically changes us from wanting every false way to wanting God's way. And so the question to ask before we ask, do we love God's word? The real question is, has God changed your heart? Because apart from God changing your heart, you will love every false way. But when God radically changes you, he takes out, he takes out the heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh and puts his spirit in you that causes you to want to obey. And so the writer loves God's word. He's gained understanding. He hates every false way. He's been changed because, and he loves God's word. So have you experienced this radical power of God to change your life? Do you love God's word? If you love God's word, it's because of God's grace. It's not because you got up one morning and thought, hey, I'm going to love the Bible today. It's because of God's grace that you love God's word. And the writer's been changed. He now loves God's word. He thinks about it all the time. He meditates on it. It's sweet to him. And it's changed his thinking, and it's changed his living. Let's start with thinking. Look at verse 98. He says, Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all, the, all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Now, first time you read this, it almost sounds like that guy that's had like one semester of philosophy and now they think they know everything, right? Or the person, the 20-year-old who's read one theology book and now they have a blog and think they should call out everybody. Like that's, that's kind of what it feels like. But I don't think that's what it is. I think what's going on here is really, really full of humility, because the writer is saying, uh, your commandment makes me wiser. He's not saying I'm smarter. He's saying your commandment makes me wise. For it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. So there are these people who are teaching him. He realizes, no, I understand more than they're saying. So he's not having a critical heart, but he is having a critical mind. He's thinking about what he's hearing and he realizes I have more understanding than my teacher. Why? For your testimonies are my meditation. It's not because I'm awesome. It's because your word has given me wisdom, is what he's saying. And I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. So his thinking has changed. His, his thinking about the world, his thinking about God, his thinking about others has changed because God's word has shaped his mind. Now, here's what we need to understand. Something is shaping your thinking. Something is shaping what you're thinking about. And the writer is saying that God's word is shaping him. An important question would be, what is shaping you? When I was growing up, my mom used to always say I had a hard head. Brian, you're so hard-headed. And people enjoy continuing telling me that to this day. But um, the reality is I have a very soft head. And what I mean by that is it doesn't take much to shape my thinking. You're the same. 
And there are things that are shaping our thinking and what we understand about God and his word. So what's shaping your thinking? The writer says, I love God's word. It's my meditation all the day. It's sweeter than honey to my taste. Because of God's word, my thinking has changed. And then he moves from thinking to living. Look at verse 101. He says, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules for you have taught me. The writer's saying when we meditate on God's word, when we think about what God's word says, that that creates life change. God is not after simple mental assent to what's true. He's after lives that have been changed by his word. And the writer's saying loving God's word leads to a change in our living. And we see that in these two verses. The first one is about resisting sin. Look at verse 101. He says, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. Now, look at, look at what that's saying. It's, it first acknowledges there is such thing as an evil way. That there is a way that is evil, that is opposed to God and his word. And the writer says, I hold back my feet from that way. There is an action he is taking to hold himself back from going down an evil path. He's resisting sin. And he's actively doing this. I think so often we, we think that when we're faced with temptation, we should be passive in our response to that temptation. And we think things like, well, God, I'm just waiting on you to deliver me. And we're, I think we're waiting until we kind of power a level up to something or we have this feeling that makes us want to not do that. And we, we think that until we have that feeling, we shouldn't actively resist something like an evil way. But the Bible all over it talks about this active resistance to sin that is met with God's supply of grace. That very often in our step of obedience, God fills us with his grace to fulfill what we have stepped out into. And so he says, I am resisting, I'm holding back my feet from every evil way. That is an active resistance of sin. And it's empowered by God's grace and spirit. Look at uh, Romans 8. It's going to be on the screen. Romans 8.13 says it this way. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, do you see, do you see this connection of active obedience and dependent obedience? It's there in verse 13. If, if by the spirit, that's um, dependence on the Lord, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so there's this connection between dependence on the Lord and active obedience. And the writer in Psalm 119 is saying, I hold back my feet from every evil way. By the power of God's Spirit, by the power of His grace, I'm holding back my feet from this evil way. I'm resisting sin. But he's also pursuing obedience in verse 102. He says, I do not run aside from your rules, for you have taught me. 
says, I, I, not only do I resist sin, I'm pursuing obedience. And notice, he says, I do not turn aside from your rules for you have taught me. Do you see the relational dynamic in verse 102? Rules are not a checklist for him. They're, they're the words of someone he is in relationship with. For you have taught me. He is pursuing obedience, not to earn something or merit something, but because he's in relationship with the one who's teaching. A heart changed by God's grace through his word makes him want to not only actively resist sin, but actively pursue obedience. Now, we talk a lot about grace at Exodus, and that's because the Bible talks a lot about grace, and so we want to talk about what the Bible talks about. Now, the reality is there is always a danger of the way we understand grace causing us to drift from a passion for a changed life. Now, notice, I did not say grace. It's not that grace causes us to drift. It's our understanding of grace that causes us to drift. Grace, there's not a problem with grace. There is no problem with God's grace. There's a problem with our understanding of it. In Titus 2, it's gonna be on the screen, it says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. Do you see what grace does? It not only brings salvation, it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. That's what God's grace does. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's what God's grace does. It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. It teaches us to resist sin and to pursue obedience. That's what God's grace does. Um, one of my guilty pleasures is watching a YouTube channel called People Are Awesome. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched that, but it's a great, man. But my favorite is watching People Are Awesome next to Fail Army. That's where they put somebody doing it right and somebody not at all. It's a lot of fun to watch. The, earlier this week, a vid, they posted a video, and part of it was this woman on a tight line, uh, and in the, the background was the Golden Gate Bridge. And the, so this, this woman is on top of this tight line walking across the bay. It's phenomenal. And they've got the drone going around and slow-mo in just the right spots. It was amazing. Now, she had a harness on. She was strapped in. She had a a safety line so that if she fell off, she wasn't going to die, allegedly. You know, I mean, it was was safe. And, And her line was there so that she could be daring walking across that bay. The line was not there so that she could dangle. I mean, the point, the point of the whole thing was for her to be just daring in this activity. And so there wasn't a video of her just kind of hanging there, you know? There was this video of her walking across. And I think sometimes we think God's grace is there just for us to dangle instead of for us to dare to obey, to follow Christ into crazy, awesome things. God's grace teaches us to resist sin and to pursue obedience with all the power God would grant. 
And so that's what God's grace does. God's grace causes us to love God's word. And when we love God's word, it changes our thinking. It changes our living. May it be. Man, may it be. So how do we apply this? Again, the, the writer is celebrating what God's word has done. He's speaking from experience about what God's grace has done in his life. He, he loves God's word. It's changed his thinking and his living. It's shaped him. God's word has shaped his thinking and his living. So here's the question that we want to finish with. What is shaping you? This writer says God's word has shaped him. It's made him wiser. It's given him more understanding. God's word has shaped him. It's, it's caused him to resist sin and pursue obedience. God's word has shaped him. What's shaping you? Something is. Something's affecting what you think and the way you're thinking. And after a while, it starts to affect how you're feeling. And then it starts to affect what you're doing. But something is shaping you. Something is shaping you. Is it talk radio? Look, I'm not opposed to talk radio. I just know every time I listen to it, I get angry about the world. And I don't know if that's kind of how you're put together, but that is something that can shape you. It can shape you. Um, so, uh, social media, likes and retweets. I, I got nothing against social media. It's a lot of fun, okay? But so very often we can start to live to show people something that's not real while thinking what other people are showing us that's not real is real. And that can start to shape what we think and believe about the world. And we can start living for someone to like a picture that's real life that we worked 30 minutes on. It can shape us. And man, the studies about what social media stuff is doing, particularly to young people, it's staggering. It's staggering. And it shapes us. It shapes us. A podcast. Love podcasts. I, I, I love listening to them. A buddy of mine introduced me to one that's just three guys uh, yelling into a microphone. And I just started listening to it and I just found myself getting more cynical. And I was already on the way, okay? It didn't, it, it wasn't like that threw me in a, a pool I never swam in before. But I mean, I just felt, I was like, man, I, I can't listen to this all the time because I'm just gonna get really, really, really cynical. This, 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 these messages coming into my mind and life were starting to shape me in a negative way, politics, whether you're Fox News or CNN, pick your poison. I mean, that, those things can shape your mind. Sometimes friends and colleagues will shape our minds. Sometimes children will shape us, not in the good sanctifying sense, but in the sense that we'll just do whatever we got to do to make them happy. And that's really not the best way to be a parent. All these things will shape us. These idea factories, they'll try to conform us to their understanding of the world. And unless we're thinking with a critical mind, not a critical heart, but unless we're thinking with a critical mind about what we're listening to, they will shape us to their message. So what's shaping you? What's shaping you? The writer of this psalm says, I love God's word. I think about it all the time. It's sweet. I get understanding. I'm wiser and know, I understand because I love God's word. What's shaping you? In Romans 12, Paul writes this. 
He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Notice, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Do you see what he's appealing to? He's, He's not appealing to their merit. He's appealing to God's mercy. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He's saying, God is after our lives, not just our thoughts. He's he's after us laying down our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. And then he says this, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now that, that word conformed is an interesting word. It means do not allow external pressure to press you into a mold of something you're not. So he says, don't be conformed. Don't let external pressure and external realities conform you into something you're not. Do not be conformed. Do not be squeezed into a mold, but be transformed. Now, this word has the idea of internal, like inside-out transformation into something you are. Think a caterpillar into a butterfly. And how do we do that? By the renewal of your mind. So this, this vision that Paul lays out for us is not where we would be squeezed from the outside, but that we would be changed from the inside by the renewal of our mind through God's word. And so what's shaping you? Is God's word shaping you? Is God's word shaping you? And Paul says again, all that is a response to the mercies of God. We don't do this to merit something. We don't do this to earn something. We don't do this to prove something. We do this because God has bought us and we belong to him. And in light of the mercies of God, Paul appeals to us to not be squeezed, not be shaped by external forces squeezing us into something we're not, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we might know what the will of God is, what is his good, acceptable, and perfect will. So my hope for us is that we would love God's word, that it would be what we think about all the time, that it would be sweeter to us, or salty if you're a salty, sweeter. It would be something we love. And that as we think on it and it's sweet to us, that our lives, our thinking and our living would be radically changed for the glory of God. Let's pray to that end. Father God, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for your love for us. Um, Lord, I pray and ask that you would work in our lives in such a way that we would be transformed. That we would not be conformed by external messages that are not consistent with your word, but that we would be transformed by your word and by your gospel so that our lives, our minds and our lives would, be, would look more like Jesus to those around us. 
Father, apart from your word, apart from the power of your spirit, apart from those things, we, um, we have no hope. So Lord, we ask that you would do what only you can, that you would change us. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen.